Hello, and welcome to Signs of the Times on CKUT, a show trying to understand the uncharted cultural waters that we find ourselves in today. A little later in the show today, we'll be interviewing Marlene Hale of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. But before that, Elle and I are going to provide a little context. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. My name is Olive. And my name is Elle. Today, we'll be talking about Wet'suwet'en and the pipeline expansion project that they are opposing. So Wet'suwet'en is in so-called BC in North Inland. So the pipeline project that's going through is being um, built by CGL. So the pipeline is planning to go from Edmonton, Alberta, all the way through the Rockies into uh, Burnaby, BC. And... The pipeline is planned to go through the traditional territory of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. This project was bought by the Canadian federal government for $4.5 billion. The original budget was supposed to be $7.6 billion, but actually in 2020, the budget was upped to $12.6 billion. This is just the cost of construction. It does not cover the massive police presence that has accrued around the pipeline disrupting attempts to defend the land from the Canadian government. So some context on Wet'suwet'en, just to give you some background before you listen. So Wet'suwet'en Nation is made up of clans, one of them being Gidimden, which is one of the main checkpoints of opposition to this pipeline. Uh, under the clans, there's also houses. And in each house, there's a hereditary chief. So hereditary chiefs are based in traditional Wet'suwet'en law. Um, they are different from the band councils. So the band councils are colonially imposed. Uh, they were imposed by the Indian Act of 1876. The Indian Act is also what created reservations. So the band council has approved this pipeline, but as I said, they are a colonially imposed government and they don't have any authority or jurisdiction outside of reservation land and reservations don't necessarily equate to traditional territory so ultimately the hereditary chiefs who govern the traditional territory since time immemorial under Wet'suwet'en law have the ultimate jurisdiction over what happens on Wet'suwet'en land and the hereditary chiefs under traditional law are opposing the pipeline expansion in Wet'suwet'en so the hereditary chiefs oppose the construction of this pipeline because it's going to do massive damage to the land. Um, they have not consented to the construction of the project, and it's going to go right through the sacred headwaters of their land. So the traditional headwaters of the nation is known as Wedzenkwa. It is the only remaining source of clean water left on the nation. Um, all the other sources have been polluted by colonial projects and Coastal Gas Link is about to drill right beneath the sacred headwaters. Um, this directly threatens the existence and survival of all the Wet'suwet'en people. It's a central location for salmon migration. It's one of the major traditional food sources for the region, and this pipeline would totally disrupt and destroy that vital part of the ecosystem. Additionally, the construction of the pipeline relies on what are called man camps. Um, basically, temporary housing and everything for the workers that are living on site. These man camps have been one of the primary factors driving missing and murdered indigenous women. There's very little oversight for what goes on in these camps, and the workers are often very hostile to the people of the land. 
So just for a brief historical context for this opposition is um, the Delgamuk case of 1997, which was a ruling that declared indigenous rights to unceded territory. And this includes the Wet'suwet'en Nation territory. Under this ruling, it also is important to note the role of free prior and informed consent. So Canada as a settler nation has not received free prior and informed consent from the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs. And the UN actually made a declaration under UNDRIP, which is the the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, saying and declaring and demanding that Canada puts a halt on this pipeline until they've received free prior and informed consent from the hereditary chiefs. So first, free prior and informed consent is restorative. So that means that it centers indigenous models of government, including the hereditary council and the hereditary chiefs under traditional law. Uh, It's also epistemic, meaning that it includes indigenous knowledge systems on relationality and relationships to land and other than human kin. It's also reciprocal. So this ensures that the ones being asked for consent Um, in this case, the Wet'suwet'en Nation, are the ones who are also defining what consent means in their own terms. And lastly, it's legitimate. So that means that this consent is officiated by legitimate members of community who can have a say on this matter. So therefore being, in this case, the hereditary chiefs. Until free prior and informed consent is given by the hereditary chiefs, this project is illegitimate, immoral, and genocidal in nature. It displaces the indigenous peoples from their land and um, threatens ways of life that have gone back to time immemorial. Our interview with Marlene Hale was recorded on November 25th. So the events leading up to that were as follows. On Saturday, November 13th, Torrential downpours began in BC, leading to a lot of the flooding that we have heard so much about and is continuing as of right now. This is clearly a climate change caused event. It's also very obvious that the flooding in BC is directly related to what happened in Lytton um, and other parts of BC this summer with the forest fires and how the land has been left vulnerable to not being able to absorb as much water, not having enough topsoil, etc. and so forth. So you can really see the connections between different climate change caused natural disasters. So climate change obviously is playing a big role in what is going on in BC right now, but I think it's also important to recognize the interconnection between colonialism and climate change. The colonial extractivist mindset is what has caused us to end up in this situation of climate change in the first place. Um, And the expansion of the pipeline is just one further expression of that colonial project. If we want to stop climate change, we also have to address issues of colonialism and uh, vice versa. On November 19th, there was an RCMP raid on Wet'suwet'en land. After land defenders uh, enforced a eviction notice that they had served back in 2018, basically stating that until free prior informed consent was given, that um, all construction on the pipeline had to stop, people had to leave the territory, and they shut down one of the main roads into the nation. 
So the raid was undertaken by the Community Industry Response Group, which is a branch of the BC RCMP, which answers directly to the oil companies and other corporate interests in the region, specifically energy interests. And I think it helps demonstrate how the corporate state looks after the interests of corporate power before the needs of anybody else, the people, especially the indigenous peoples of this land. The RCMP response was vastly disproportional. So in the midst of all this flooding, the RCMP deployed a huge amount of heavily militarized police. We're talking uh, automatic rifles. We're talking like snipers being deployed all over. The land defenders that they came to arrest illegally were unarmed. They broke into the territory, broke down the door of um, one of the cabins in Gedemden checkpoint and arrested 15 people there. Uh, I think in total, 30 people were arrested, and many of them were not actively participating in uh, the blockade. They just happened to be around. Media was arrested as well, which um, kind of illegal. Furthermore, they bulldozed the entire Gidemden checkpoint that was established to prevent um, TMX from encroaching on the land more. Houses that were there were burned to the ground. There hasn't been an explanation for this, but it is likely retaliation for defending the land. And the conditions for release of arrest from all the people that were arrested uh, were determined by CGL directly. They wanted to ban all arrested land defenders from entering the territory at all, which is a violation of their Section 35 rights of the Constitution of Rights and Freedoms and a clear violation of Wet'suwet'en law. So people that have been barred from the territory. So land defenders, if they have access to the space at all, are only allowed to come and go from their homes. They can't fish. They can't interact with the land in any way. Um, this is clearly to stop them from continuing to defend the land, but it is um, completely immoral and, once again, a violation of Wet'suwet'en law. So opposition has been happening since 2010 to this pipeline and other extraction projects. But even before then, traditional law and traditional territory directly opposes Canadian extractivism um, of any form. So the most recent raid was just one of many raids that have has happened since 2010. And Marlene Hale, who you'll be hearing from next, uh, mentions the February 2019 raid that kind of set off her solidarity action within here in Montreal. So this interview was recorded on November 25th. Good morning, Skyze, Denise, Zakuze. I am Marlene Hale, and I'm from the Wet'suwet'en Nation, and I am from the Luxilio clan, which means small frog. My mother, her name was Guhe, and she was uh, a chief of the of the, of the Wet'suwet'en Nation. Of, and I want to thank you both, uh, Elise and Olive, for inviting me to your program, Signs of the Times. Yes, thank you so much for coming on the show. So, Marlene, could you tell us a little bit about what's happening in Wet'suwet'en right now? 
Well, Elisa, from the last uh, word that I've been uh, reaching out, that I speak to uh, uh, them up there, my family, my sister Charlotte Yverman, almost on a daily basis. And it's usually uh, from my brother Lawrence Basil, who was one of the elders who got arrested up there before um, the, now the total I think was being over 30 arrested. Um, him and his wife were arrested. They were taken by ambulance to the hospital because they were uh, in need of their medication, her especially because she had heart issues. Uh, they are all fine. And uh, it was it was a really uh, very difficult uh, for us through the weekend to seeing of when they are going to be released, all of them. And Molly, of course, Wickham was one of the last ones to, to be let out and put into court. The process of the court just took way, way too long considering what it was. But then again, where they were in uh, the small towns between Prince George all the way up to uh, Houston and Smithers, the courthouses are very small. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you mind explaining some of the context around this recent raid, um, the activities that have been going on in the nation? Well, go, let's go right back to um, when the, the, the Molly and the Chief Wass, our hereditary chief, had put a, he, he spoke out and mentioned that the, the, the roads were going to be closed. They had ample t enough time to have everybody from the camps to get out. Right from that, when they had announced that the CGL did not do um, the, the right thing of, in, of getting in touch with all the supervisors, superintendents, everything up at the camp. I'm sure it was, it could not be just miscommunicated. They clearly did not care to have the people out and then uh, cry out that they were having a shortage of food and water and for that many people. And so there, that was just done without due care and attention uh, to be attentive, to allow everybody. Uh, some people left apparently on their own. And that's how we know that the, when they came out, they had spoken out and said that they were not told about what was going to happen in the next few days. They were not told about the road closure at all. Mm hmm. Definitely. And um, for the folks that are listening who might not know exactly what's happening in Wet'suwet'en since 2010, when um, the Unistoten camp was first um, put in place and CGL, which is the pipeline company, um, put an injunction in place. Uh, could you explain a little bit about the history, maybe from 2010 or even earlier? I will start uh, with going yeah. back to, absolutely, Elisa, um, I'm going to start going back to January the 8th of 2019, when the Coastal Gas Link put an injunction on the Unistoten and uh nations to put a, a 470-kilometer uh, pipeline through the 22,000 square kilometers of the Wet'suwet'en nation. When that happened, it was, it, it was just angered and put such a... Uh, you know, such a division uh, within our people, because, uh, of course, there are some that who did sign the um, the agreement that they could go, go through the band council, let's go through that. 
And when that, that happened, it, it just angered so many people to the core where when I was speaking in Montreal here, I spoken to all the media. And when on that day, the one of the media, I think it was APTN who had asked me, if Prime Minister Trudeau was here, what would you say to him today? And I, my message to Prime Minister Trudeau that day was to saying, letting him know that he had clearly sold us out. And, was, and I was right, right from the start. January the 14th of that, uh, still about a few weeks later, he was in uh, St. Hyacinth, Quebec at a town hall meeting and uh, I was I was there and at I was one of the last two people to to be selected to ask him. So lo and behold, he did not to see that the, the almost the last person that he was to uh, allow to ask him anything. And I stood up and when I said, my name is my is Marlene Hale and I'm from the Wet'suwet'en Nation, the whole place felt dead silent. And some of the questions that I asked him today was something I will still uh, ask him again today. That day, uh, the first one was, Mr. Prime Minister, that he had just totally led us um, you know, in the wrong path of his not by not speaking out to us or with us. And the first question that I asked was him was on respect, wagus in our language, that it was just totally not respected at all. The respect to the indigenous people and to the Wet'suwet'en nation. The other one, the next question was on the consent, whether he got it, it right or wrong on what the consent is between the BAM Council, which is just all to do with administration of, of the, the office in the communities. And it had nothing to do with the uh, land title holders, which is the hereditary chiefs. And he did not ask so that the consent was it, it you know it should not have been even without a question to me saying that it was it was never given consent because you you asked of course the wrong people and the other question that I had on him was about truth and reconciliation where was that with standing with him and indigenous people this is not what we call truth and reconciliation the last question I asked him Mr Prime Minister who gave the order to the RCMP. The order has to come from the top. And he was very respectful and, um, of course, dancing around all the questions to me, but respectful in a, in a sense where in the audience was a lot of yellow vests and uh, they were uh, really heckling a lot of people that were getting up and speaking. And he stopped me for a second and just turned to them and said that I was I would sue it an elder and to be respectful to me and which they were. And so given that, um, it, 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 it totally escalated into the, then the, um, when they went in to get him down the first time and they arrested the 14 people. For the 14 people they had up there, I remember getting that phone call that day from my sister saying that she lives across the, in Smithers, BC, from a big uh, hotel, one of the biggest in Smithers called the Hudson Bay Lodge. And she was so upset because from her kitchen window, she can clearly see a huge bus and about 20 vehicles behind it. 
And she said they were just now loading up with RCMP with tactical guns, rifles. And she was in tears. And at that time, she'd said, Marlene, you've got to help us. You've got to get this word out to the world. And that's exactly what we had done. We had we were calling us on this on nationwide, Canada wide, and then we went worldwide. And that's exactly what it was. And when they went up um, later and they went into Unistoten and in the middle of a ceremony, which they were doing for the missing and murdered indigenous women, Frida Houston and the matriarchs up there were just um, drumming and singing. And it was to bring our women home so that their spirits will be back onto the territory. And right in the middle of ceremony, it was the images that the world could not stand was when the RCMP were mishandling the drums of the matriarchs and how one RCMP jeered uh, around a big smile around the red dresses. And that was what shut Canada down. And so we know from then what had happened uh, Canada wide. And it really started a ripple of uh, solidarity so strongly. And that was when the time it was it was on, on our side at that time we had the social we had the uh, mainstream media with us, which is a very different story as of today. Yeah. Um... I, I just wanted to touch for a moment on um, truth and reconciliation because um, there has been a lot of talk recently, uh, especially from the government, about truth and reconciliation, but the actions of the government do not match up with um, what they're claiming to be pursuing, right? Especially with this most recent uh, militarized attack on the nation. Um, the the level of deployment in terms of like military personnel from the state is completely disproportionate and extremely um, violent and wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's even, you know, debate between what is truth and reconciliation, who is it for, and how is it different from decolonization? And like, how is it different from shut down Canada? So if you could touch a little bit about what is Shutdown Canada, uh, the impact of solidarity action connected to decolonization, and maybe your thoughts on truth and reconciliation, uh, that'd be great. Oh, that would be my pleasure. So Elise and Olive, so where where I was just finishing off where um, Canada shut down and they shut down all the railways, the highways, um, the most important thing that was costing billions of dollars to the envi- uh, economy in Canada, it really clearly sent out a message that not only just the Indigenous, people worldwide have just been uh, have just had it, where it comes to down to uh, the number one, the Indigenous issues, which leads us into uh, when Prime Minister Trudeau, this this last election, called the election, and two of the biggest things that they had on on there was truth and reconciliation was number one, and we we saw that and uh, other issues with Indigenous. Well, nothing transpired on that election at all, and so 
anyways, we, we get it. We, you know we, that he is just not uh, withholding up his job and his word. Really, these days, really doesn't mean anything to us on on any speeches that he gave, including the throne speech, just not re just recently. So when you're talking about when Canada shut down, the solidarity came so thick and and hard all across the nation worldwide and the United States and, and we were getting and still are getting many messages all from all over the world once again, because certain other countries uh, and back in that uh, September of that year. I flew to Panama City and I was talking to 23 different countries on this in, uh, issue alone of of the extractions and everything else placed upon indigenous people worldwide, not just in, in uh, Wet'suwet'en nation. And whereas worldwide, all the Latin American company, uh, countries, and they still are today, the activists there, they get just for getting out and speaking out on, on the industry and what the government are doing, and they get killed. Whereas here, we, we, it's not gotten that drastic. But we are still holding each other uh, in solidarity, knowing that we are facing what we are facing worldwide, and where the it, how it's going so horribly now. And like right now, you have two two issues here: truth and reconciliation with the indigenous people. They have right there. There, it's not the truth when you are not listening to the leaders. It is not truth, and when you have no respect for the leaders, and the the respect there is is just nowhere. When you are just allowing um, industry to make their own decisions of bringing the RCMP in, and then later just billing the government, which has been over six million dollars now between the Wet'suwet'en and Fairy Creek and beyond, that is a lot of money. And as money as that could go right now, and instead of, of uh, you know, going on to another topic of what is all the, the floods and everything else that has gone through, uh, through this horrible times that we're going through, is where they should be deploying these RCMP, doing some real work for a change, instead of just, you know, beating down on people and uh, on indigenous. And we went through that in Fairy Creek, where I have witnessed and I will not have indigenous youth come up to the front lines simply because they single them out. And uh, I was there when they uh, with students talking and crying and so upset talking, saying that, you know, if you're indigenous, you stand over here. If you're the media, you stand over here. And they would ask why, Well, because you'll be the first to be arrested. And they were arrested viciously. I have got so many, uh, about 270 stories of how viciously they have been arrested. And it, it, the, same, the same group have gone from Wet'suwet'en Nation to Ferry Creek on Vancouver Island, back up to Wet'suwet'en Nation again. And they are the same ones. So there was two plane, a uh, plane load of them plus uh, busloads of going into the territory, plus a lot of cars, and it was witnessed again, you know, paraded through town, the town of Smithers, and the town of Houston, 
where the locals are just, you know, getting so fed up with this and, and uh, tired of just, you know, all of the, the stories that they visibly see up there. And they have uh, put hardships on not only just up in, up in the territories, but into the, the small towns as well, because they've taken over all the hotels, the restaurants, and, uh, you know, it's really caused hardships and more division amongst the people. So that makes it harder for each and every one of us to do, just to be, just to be there and be, uh, be visible, to enjoy life. So therefore, that we went with, with truth and reconciliation to decolonizing. And the decolonizing is the most important uh, thing that we have been working on from since time memorial. When you talk about the Wet'suwet'en Nation and going back to, uh, I was just talking about this on the story yesterday, where as our ancestors, my parents, my grandparents, and uh, many before them, have traveled through the 22,000 of square kilometers, not by, not by truck or by car, by foot, by horse and buggy. At that time, I can remember stories from my, my parents when the first time they were set out and they were on the trap lines of where it is now today all been destroyed by CGL. If it, if it takes us today an hour to drop to travel from Houston, BC to Smithers to get our, our to do our shopping, it would take them by horse and buggy a week and their time. And they never bought anything at the store, such as meat, vegetables, fruit. They lived off of the land. They never, it was what they hunted, what they trapped and what they caught, berries. Uh, our teas and our, our wild game, our fish. The, the fish stock was just amazing at that time. And now, dwindling to now what it is today. So when you see and what it was in the past and for how many hundreds of years that it has been respected. And we do, do then the, the, the colonizers came in and tried to put, you know, uh, taking the children away, putting our parents into the residential school system. And it led from the hardships of the time that they were, my mother was six years old when she went to Lee Jack school in uh, Fraser Lake, BC. And uh, she would speak about the aunts and, and uncles that we had that were there and how long they were all there and when they got out. and. Even today, with our our Wet'suwet'en language, it is uh, being revised. It's uh, and also we have a history book, and the history book shows back how the elders and what they had to say was what comprised of our history of the Wet'suwet'en nation and what it is today, with the colonization and trying to take all of that the 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 colonizers out of the picture. And just go back to that time when when it was trapping and uh, you know the beautiful life that was there before what it is now today. It, it's we we always say that our our elders are looking down at us and they're praying and they're very worried about us because of the, what we are now going through, but what our future is going to be like. Very grim. 
Yeah. And the survival is just what basically what we all have left just to survive as a nation. I think um, just in terms of that, like, especially the situation in BC right now with the flooding caused by climate change, it makes it mm-hmm. even more kind of um, unfathomable and just disgusting the opportunism that the RCMP and CGL is um, taking with all the chaos from the floods using this as the moment to try to push through and enforce um, the interests of CGL uh, in Ferry Creek, trying to open up new logging roads into the heart of the territory. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I I also just wanted to say in terms of truth and reconciliation, I think something that isn't talked about a lot and should be is um, truth about the function of the RCMP, you know? Like, uh, you're well aware that the RCMP is um, a colonial institution. It was founded to dispossess people of their land, and um, it continues to fulfill that role. And until, um, until we recognize that these institutions are fundamentally racist and need to be dismantled, truth and reconciliation cannot be brought about. That is so true, because going back to last year, um, I hold a, a weekly webinar, and at that time when the George Floyd story broke out, it was Black Lives Matters and, and all of that, and then it went to the from there to the RCMP to um, defunding the police, many issues surrounding what that what they have turned their institution has turned into today. At that time, we tried to get Brenda Lackey to step down as the police commissioner of Canada. She tried to say at one time that oh, there's no racism within the uh, RCMP, and even Prime Minister Trudeau corrected her. And she still is, she is still there. She is still not, they have not been able to find someone to replace her. And that push of getting her out and getting somebody else in is really who do we get that is going to listen to both sides or to every side. There has not been a, um, a, an ounce of, of, of anything coming from the government, even though they have been pushed by Amnesty International by all these uh, OHCHR, which is the Human Rights in Geneva, Switzerland, to to tell the Canadian government to have the RCMP to stand down off of the Wet'suwet'en Nation and also off the Ferry Creek of the Patidat Nation, Pachidat Nation. And there has been no, um, no call at all, and it has to come from the government. They have to step in once and for all and get the gut the police out of where the what they are doing today mm-hmm. it's that's definitely necessary it needs to happen but i also i question whether the government is fundamentally going to do that just considering that they haven't really been looking out for the interests of indigenous people in the past and i mean uh, cgl's contract for this pipeline is funded mostly by the government you know um trudeau and the liberal party in general try to um make it seem like they are separate from the issue or that um i don't know that they're not involved but they're actually the ones that are instrumental in, in pushing these things forward 
Well, what happened there, um, Olive, is where you have to go to another perspective of if that doesn't work, there's other avenues of that where we can work from. And what we are doing on the 1st of December, let's say this, for example, to, to at uh, McGill, is we're doing Divest McGill. And that's going to be at the James um, uh, Administration Building, uh, where I believe that uh, Prime Minister has an office there. And Divest McGill is where McGill University, for example, they have, uh, they're using their students' endowments uh, funds to invest into with our, our Royal Bank of Canada, $4.7 million. They are totally not for industry. I have spoken to many banks and uh, there has been a lot of calls for action on the, the banks in uh, Victoria, BC. And hundreds of people have stood in front of those banks that say they're, they're Toronto Dominion for one, and they, they rallied in front and then they stood up in line, uh, over a hundred of them, and they, they marched into the, uh, the bank one at a time and they withdrew all their funds. Divesting is like putting it where the monetary system is what we have to get down to the billionaires of all of these big uh, industry. And this is where we, we've become walking into a, a brick wall, fighting all this last year with the government, with truth and reconciliation, with many other issues that have, have come up with the Indigenous people. And, and they know that overriding all of this at the time when Canada Indigenous people are in mourning of the first 215 children that they're trying to bring home, which is now the numbers are over 7,000. They're at a time when they are mourning and we're talking about truth and reconciliation. And at a time when they're trying to allow the, the uh, the many nations to start dealing with this one, one church, one group at a time in their own ways. And so you're, you're, you've got so many hats that you're wearing. You're mourning, you got to take off your hat and then you got to start speaking in solidarity. Again, survival. Then you got to take that off and then you got to speak and then educate. Educating is very important for us to continue the education of knowing what the Wet'suwet'en, what our t lands and title rights are, and where it goes back to uh, many, you know, to the treaty and to the system that we have and to many things that were following through us that were, that just fell through the cracks and to, to mold and fix each and every issue that is running up, up against us now it's all over again, starting in Ginnam Dam as of today, where Molly Wickham and uh, they're just fighting for the fight of their life to save that river, the Morris River, of having a pipeline put underneath it. Right now, in uh, the, the the pipeline in Burnaby is a pure example of how it is all trashed, and now they've got the biggest oil spill. They've got the most toxic lake going through there right now between dead animals, the oil spill and all of the other chemicals that are mixed in with it. It is just a biggest uh, environmental mess that's happening in Burnaby, BC right now as we speak. 
And can you imagine that coming up to the territories and having all the wild game, the wildlife, the salmon, the 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 moose stock, the you know, drinking out of that, and we use that water ourselves. Yeah, I think yeah, you made a really great point about how um, you know the fight for land is the fight for life, and how everyone is is a part of that. Everyone's a part of the land, and you mentioned previously about the relationship that you know, your people have to the land and um, since time immemorial and even in reversal, like the residential schools and violence on indigenous peoples is directly related to violence on land. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about your relationship to the land, what this means and um, yeah, just how important it is for everyone living in Canada that a fight against a pipeline is is you know, it benefits everyone living here, so. Well, when you see that the, 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 our language of the Wet'suwet'en, um, we say Skyze, Denise, Zakwaze, those are the names of chiefs. And that's how we address our, when you say it in French here, it's bonjour. There it's Skyze, Denise, Zakwaze. When we talk about uh, the land, we're talking about the yinta and yin and the word ta is the land and how it is all put into uh, of where it was in the past of what it is we're just trying to keep what was there from so many years it is pristine you can just walk up to it and almost drink out of it it is so pristine and you cannot do that to many rivers in, in, in this world at all. I am, so when you see the, the uh, what our ancestors have lived and how they have taught through, um, my brothers who were, was a hereditary chief and uh, when he is out on the land for a chief to, to gain his name, he has to spend a whole month out in the land and he has to sustain off of that. So he's not to go bring in any groceries or anything out to live out there. He lives out there for 30 days. Then when he comes into the feast house after 30, he's walked in by the, by the other chiefs. Then he's to speak of his experience out there, how he trapped, how he fished, how he did everything on himself, just the way his ancestors have taught him to walk the land, to pick the berries, to understand with the trees, the roots, and and the whole system of a tree, where it, re, where it retains all the water. And my great aunts were uh, basket ma makers. Uh, the, the the trees that grew up there are the birch trees. They made baskets, and those baskets we didn't uh, we don't have. We, today we have so much plastic in our life. At that time, it was all baskets. They made from the bark and the roots. So their thread was the roots. And so you used every part of the animal when you when you caught it, you were taught that way. You were taught to use every part of a tree when you're to take it down. You use the logs to build your house, your log house. Then you take the bark, you make baskets, and you take the leaves and you make medicine. So when you're taking every part of everything that you have, including all the animals for your your winter clothes and then for the the hides are made into moccasins and so absolutely everything you see today in our culture is from our land 
So without the land and the way it was at that time, our culture dies. So for us to revive all of our cultural traditions and ceremonies and everything that we now do in traditional feast houses and here they call it long houses and for us to maintain all of that we have to have our traditions of what our ancestors have taught us years mm -hmm. before we continue that education and with through the language and we and i do it i'm a chef uh, activist and so i do it through food I teach my students how to do to to speak learning the words of the Wet'suwet'en through food and learning it, uh, teaching them about the medicine and we'll make tea. So we'll make bannock and we'll have tea all from the land. Very powerful, you know? Yeah, so now we'd like to talk a little bit about the solidarity actions that are happening across Turtle Island, not even just across Turtle Island, but also uh, across the world in terms of standing with Wet'suwet'en and, um, you know, shutting down Canada. So Marlene, could you talk a little bit about all of those actions that are happening, mostly, especially led by youth? And um, I remember you mentioning about the matriarchal system and how a lot of these actions are also led by uh, matriarchs and women and femmes? Well, you know, our drum and our voices speak. And when you see the youth today, I call you all my little troublemakers because they're, they're a good thing. It's all my little troublemakers from McGill University, uh, Concordia, er every university here in Montreal. And I have spoken to, and since 2019, uh, March 15th was one of the biggest environmental, I think you were all there when all the schools w walked out uh, across the land and uh, that was the biggest in at Plaza de Zara, it was 150,000. In solidarity going back then, I had spoken almost on a daily basis to every event, whether it is minus 30, minus 25 snowing, Foot, foot of snow on my head, I was still out there talking. As a matriarch and as a Wet'suwet'en member, just educating the world on what it is like to be in, and thanking everybody, especially the Mohawk Nation where we are today. And I really thank them for being in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en. And so many of the ones that are still walked out and walked through and rallied and uh, uh, shut down uh, railways and the highways and had the roll the rollabouts where they did just drive down the highway and slow down the traffic. It's done, all done in a peaceful way is now happening still all across Turtle Island. Um, the first of December, for example, we're doing Divest McGill. Um, this Sunday, I will be in Ottawa um, speaking uh, with students there again, all coming from everywhere and to uh, crying out with the RCMP what is happening today on your show, for instance, the education, the sign of the times is what you're saying. And it is the times of what, that we are not going any more different. And uh, yesterday I was on another Zoom just uh, doing Bannock, something peaceful, happily, but still putting the education out there. And uh, whether it's on Zoom or people are out there bearing the cold, the, the, the weather back uh, west, 
I wish them all the best and, and uh, hopefully that they all stay safe and dry in the West, considering what this weekend is going to bring uh, to us as far as the uh, starting tonight and tomorrow, the, the the big clouds are coming back with, with the heavy rains again. It's going to be almost tenfold of what it was, the same thing that put them there last week in the floods. And so it's not a good time back west. And But given through all of that, is it's, it's a wake-up call. Of those environmental disasters has to come from logging and it has to come from pipelines. And everything that you have destructed, Mother Earth, Mother Earth has given us, she is outraged. And they say in the forest, the biggest matriarch we have today is Mother Earth. And she's being destroyed. And, and, we, and we have to live with the destruction of now what, what she is doing with us. We are not respecting it. And so this is what, what the, the call out in the next uh, action is not just the saying about the RCMP, about CGL, about many other industries that are doing extractions, but it's also the harmful of the environmental and has now gone to social um, justice for all of us. It's, it's called survival. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like what you were saying about... Um this being kind of a wake-up call, uh, I do, I hope that we are living through a period of time that is a turning point, especially in this struggle. Um, It seems like the amount of solidarity actions and the content of those actions is becoming, um, well, increasing in number and becoming increasingly radical. We're seeing so many more blockades um, of railways and highways. We're seeing actual um, attacks on infrastructure to shut these things down, um, to actually disrupt the economic flow of Canada and put pressure on the Canadian government to stop, to actually begin um, respecting Indigenous sovereignty and protecting um the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'd just like to thank you, Marlene, for joining us today. Um, we really appreciate you and all of your, all of the things that you're doing, um, you know, for Retsuitin, for the land, um, for your family and friends. And um, we stand with you. And uh, yeah, so thank you very much. Thank you so much for coming on the you show. You are so welcome. And, and, and Retsuitin would say, Tabi Masai. You both have a good day, and thank you again, The Signs of the Times. The Signs of the Times is a production of CKUT Public Radio. Um, The opinions and views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. We thank them very much for providing us with the equipment and resources we need to get the word out.